Thank you for listening to The Breathing Lab with Dr. Jenny. Hello, I'd like to introduce to you one of my favorite PTs that I've learned so much from. His name is Dr. Jan Dommerhalt. Hello, Jan. Hello, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for taking this uh, podcast interview on. Um, I just want to let you know that this this interview is really to educate the public around all things around breathing and treatments that we have um, to help people that are suffering from breathing conditions. So you were one of the one of the top PTs in mind that I thought could give some insight around things that are dealing with pain and muscle pain um, Mm -hmm. due to some breathing problems. So I just want to let you know this interview is sponsored by the Hobson Institute. And I'm going to just read really quickly um, Jan's short bio. Jan Dommerhalt is a co-founder and president of of the CEO of Myopain Seminars. He and with Dr. Robert Gerwin began teaching dry needling in 1996. Uh, Dry needling is a technique that we're going to be going over in this um, podcast interview. So if you don't know what it is, we are going to learn a lot about it um, today. Um, He started in Spain and now he teaches really basically in the States and all over the world. Jan is a Dutch trained physical therapist who holds a master's in professional studies degree with a concentration of both biomechanical trauma and healthcare administration. He has his doctorate through the University of St. Augustine. Um, Me and Jan and I have studied there together. Uh, Dr. Adamenhalt has taught hundreds of courses and lectured at over 60 conferences throughout the States, Canada, Mexico, South America, Europe, Australia, and the Middle East. Also is active in clinical practice in Bethesda, Maryland. Okay. Uh, Dr. Dommerhalt has edited several books on myofascial pain, dry needling, and manual physical therapy, authored about 80 book chapters, and more than 140 articles on dry needling, myofascial pain, fibromyalgia, complex regional pain syndrome, and performing arts physical therapy. He is also the president of the company Physical uh, Bethesda Physical, sorry, Bethesda Physio Care in Bethesda, Maryland. Thank you, Jan, for taking this time. You're welcome. I got tired just listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I just wanted to let everybody know, you know, Jan and I met originally um, through my my other mentor, I consider Jan my dry needling mentor, um, my mentor, Dr. Mariano Roccabato, um, who is one of the lead experts in TMJ treatment. And um, I went to go train with Mariano in Chile in 2004. And he just raved about this physical therapist, Jan Dommerhalt, and dry needling. And, you know, he said, I need to learn this technique. It's a, an amazing technique that really helps muscle pain and muscle tension. So it, that's really where we kind of started our journey. Well, I want to take a moment to really just let everybody know what, what is dry needling for and what, what are these trigger points? How are they formed? Like, could you tell the public what what yeah, is this sure, sure, that we're sure. talking so about? You mentioned Dr. Bacobado, and in 2001, I believe, he was in the States, and I attended his course program at the University of St. Augustine. And at one point, he talked about little nodules in the jaw muscle, the muscle right here, the mass of the muscle, which you mean chewing muscle, you want cloud mouth, closing muscles, and he had this really 
the buttons. The yeah, buttons. a little bizarre way of taping piece of plastic on and mm -hmm. then rubbing it. And so at at the at night, I stayed in an Airbnb at the, at the in St. Augustine Beach. I wrote a little essay, just three pages long, with some references, and I called it Mariana's whatever approach versus dry needling. And I gave it to him the next day, and in the morning, I said, you know. There's a much better way to do that. <laughs> what you do is so cumbersome. It makes no sense. It's cute. It's interesting because he'd recognize these nodules. And mm -hmm. we're going to talk about that in just a second. But there's a much better way to do that. So I gave it to him in the morning. At lunchtime, he had read it. It was only three pages. He said, like, do you mind if I give this to everyone in the class? And like, I didn't quite expect that. But sure, that's fine. It's fine. And then he introduced me. And I didn't even know he knew who I was because I was too, as far as I'm concerned, I was just a student in his class. And he said, oh, I don't know if you know that, but uh, Jan Dommerhold has developed this technique or has expanded and really teaches this technique. It's the best. One of these days, I really need to take those courses from you. And I'm like, okay, well, that's a surprise to me. Well, we couldn't find a date in the States that he was in the States. He's, as you well know, Jan, he's, he's quite busy. So, I said to him, like, well, we can do it in Chile. That's fine. So that's why I ended up traveling to Chile. And I taught him and his staff, his many of his PTs in Santiago, how to do this. And from that day on, he's been doing dry needling. So what's the point of it all? The point of it is that if you palpate your own shoulders here, you find nodules. And when you get a good massage, someone rubs your shoulders, that almost always feels good. It could also be a bit painful. Like, oh, that's a spot. We all know that feeling. What happens with that? These are contractures. These are part of the muscle that are so tightly together. Not the whole muscle. Most of the muscle is fairly relaxed, but there's little parts of the muscle that are so contracted. When that happens, and those not nodules we call trigger points. Yeah, that's just a thing that Janet Travell, who was Kennedy's White House physician in the 60s, and she came up with that concept of trigger points and, and nodules and all that. Um, we know a lot more now than we knew when she came up with those ideas. But these nodules basically are so tight that they even block the local blood flow to the muscle. Well, when blood flow is blocked in the body, anywhere the body responds pretty strongly because you need blood flow because you need oxygen in the tissues. And blood is transport uh, oxygen. So that's very important that those go together. So. People used to do that strictly with manual techniques, kind of like what Dr. Wakabada did with the manual stimulation. And that works. It just is very nonspecific. If you have a nodule and you can put a stick in it and like, oh, I got it, versus a big pillow where you're trying to push down on it and like a, like a ping pong ball on the pillow, <laughs> yeah. you can push really hard and it will have an impact somehow. At some point, maybe you can dent the ping pong ball. But if you take a hammer... It's one time and it's done. So it's kind of like that. My thumb on the on the muscle here is kind of like a pillow on a ping pong ball. And the needle is more like a hammer. So dry needling is much more specific. It came out of trigger point injections. So a lot of physicians and some dentists will do trigger point injections where they usually inject lidocaine, uh, sometimes procaine with painkillers, pain painkilling pain medication. Sometimes they go to a little more advanced. They use botulinum toxin to, to knock out these nodules. And you know, so studies have shown, and I have done both. I've done a lot of injections. Maryland is the only state in the country where physical therapists actually can do those injections. So I have done hundreds of thousands of those injections over the years. 
And honestly, I think that dry needling is actually more effective than injection. You can do a lot more. It's not limited. Lidocaine, you can only do so many because then it becomes toxic to the liver. But dry needling, there really is no limit. The needle is much thinner. Uh, you don't cause as much injury to the tissues. People are always a little bit sore afterwards, but it goes away quicker. Several studies have confirmed that the dry needling and trigger point injections are, in the studies, they're always equal. But I think in the real world, dry needling is more effective. I'm quite sure of that. That has to do with the study design of all these studies. But So dry needling is a quick way to get people out of pain, out of muscle pain, pain from a muscular origin. And by doing that, you immediately restore the length of the muscle. So stretching is much easier. You don't really have to stretch that much after dry needling. People used to do that, but I think that's a bit exaggerated. Uh, but it also gives the muscle the ability to function again and generate normal strength. So if you have trigger points in the muscle, that muscle automatically is not giving as much output. It's not as strong or doesn't have as much endurance. You can't use that muscle as long before you get fatigued. So a typical sign that patients suffer or experience is that by halfway the afternoon, the pain starts. Let's say you have back pain. You have these trigger points. You have back muscles. You do fine in the morning. You're rested. You hopefully have a decent night of sleep. Um, it's very important. But by halfway the day, your muscles get so tired because they can't function throughout the day. And that's when people start complaining. That's when the pain starts. Then if you have it in the head neck area, that's when the headaches start. Uh, people have issues with chewing, that they can't eat, chew hard foods anymore, and everything has to be softer and softer, which is not really that great either, because you do need input in your jaw as well. So it's more along those lines that trineeling is just a very quick way to get people out of that intense pain as a first step to do the rest of what you really should be doing. That could be muscle strengthening, that could be education, uh, since there's a talk about breathing and I mean, if you do it in the head, facial area, even the neck, it's after whiplash patients, almost all whiplash patients, their head, they get hit from behind. So when you get hit, your head goes back and you go up and then you fly forward again, hit the seatbelt and then your head goes even farther forward real quick. These muscles here in the front of the neck always are impacted by that. And those muscles shorten, they get these nodules, they pull the head forward and then immediately closes off the airway so people can't breathe properly anymore. And then... Most physical therapists said, oh, you need to do posture exercises and tell people to sit up straight. But these muscles are tight. You can never get your head back on top of your trunk. That doesn't work. These muscles no. always win, along with gravity. gravity. Your head's very heavy. Right. Gravity pulls that head down all day long. Gravity never gets tired. When we have muscles that don't function, we do get tired very quickly, but the muscles get tired. So dry kneeling is a perfect technique to get these muscles to lock up. We are responsive again. We can we can do things. Then the breathing, then the posture, then the rest restoration of function actually has a chance to succeed. So I think yeah. the combination is always important. So needling should not really be a standalone therapy. In some cases it is, and it's fine if you just need a little bit of people. Oh my gosh, I feel so much better. I can do everything again. Athletes, for example, you know, uh, yeah. all all well, professional therapy. athletes got dry needling. I have trained all the therapists at the ATP and the WTA. I've trained therapists at professional sports teams in the, in the United States. And, and, and for top athletes, they just need a little bit. Let's say the tennis player may do some warm up, say, hey, my backhand is a little bit off. Could you do a little bit of needling right near my arm? It's one or two needle sticks. And like, oh, that feels great. And they can play again. For most normal souls like you and me, it doesn't work quite that well. Right. 
That brings me to the the topic of p- breathing patients, and yeah. and a lot of them are TMJ type pain patients. So jaw pain. Um, these muscles that they use when they they breathe either through their mouth or their chest, they start to tighten up, yeah. fill with trigger points, and even elevate the rib cage. And and you're just basically breathing with your neck and your chest muscles. Absolutely. So I I find that. If I don't include dry needling to reset the muscle, um, and I always tell patients, like, it's almost like you get rid of those inflammatory mediators that they found in the research that fill in with trigger points. If you can get rid of all of those, you have a chance for that muscle to function properly again. Um, but I, I find, and maybe you can add, when when you see a, a mouth breathing patient, a chest breathing patient, um, I tend to see sternocleidomastoids, scalenes, both middle and anterior scalings, the, t- the masseters, the lateral pterygoids, um, upper traps. Are you, is there any other muscles that you also yeah. tend to, to needle for these types of patients? Yeah, I would say all of those muscles. I tend also to look at the digastric muscles, because if you're a mouth breather, you have to t- tend to have your mouth open more than most people. Um, so the... You don't need the muscles to open your mouth because gravity will do that. But because the muscles now are in a shortened position, they tend to get tighter as well, particularly posterior digastric. I also needle the genual hyoid muscle, which is a muscle inside the jaw, underneath, right here, the edge of the jaw, and goes to the, it's called hyoid bone, a bone right in your neck. That is a little trickier to needle, um, but it can be done. Um, so that's, that's not a muscle we actually teach in our regular dry needling courses. Because most PTs, most people who take our courses don't have never even heard of that muscle, so they wouldn't even know where it is. I do teach an advanced dry needling course for cranium medibular therapists in the Netherlands. And in that course, we include that because those people have a really good understanding of the, the mouth and the, the face and, and the head. So there we can teach that. So that that's one muscle. But also the, the longest collar muscles, all the mm-hmm. muscles from yep. the throat. All of those, I mean, we usually call it longest collar, but there's a, there's probably five, six muscles on top of that, more superficially, uh, sternohyoid and sternothyroid, all these muscles we can needle, and we do. And so I think I would add those to it. But I think the key, you mentioned something about the inflammatory mediators, but what happens when the when these nodules, when the muscle compresses major blood vessels, one of the way the body responds to that, because now there's not enough oxygen coming into the tissues. And as soon as you have a lack of oxygen, the pH of the tissues goes down. It gets very acidic. So normally the pH is around seven. In trigger points, they have been measured to be as low as four and a half, five, which is very, very acidic. I mean, acidity, pH scales are logarithmic scales. That means that the pH of six is twice as acidic as the pH of seven. Five is twice as acidic as six, and four twice as, as five. So once you get to four or five, it's very acidic. It's really abnormal. The body does not like that. That's life-threatening. So what the brain immediately does is like, okay, we're going to push a lot of chemicals in these tissues to fix that. Unfortunately, that doesn't really work. As long as that nodule is there, nothing really changes. But now you have all these other chemicals that irritate the heck of their own sensors. So they keep activating all these sensors that we have. All these chemicals have their own sensors. And then you get this vicious spiral. Before you know, people are miserable, have so much pain, and then they get more anxious. And then all the muscles you mentioned will tighten up, tighten even, up more. even more. 
So anxiety is really, really bad for the head, neck, face area because anxiety just makes everything crunch even more. We're kind of like turtles. We kind of retract underneath our, underneath the hood, so to say, and it becomes a big problem. But in my practice, I tend to look at, let's get rid of these trigger points first before we do anything else. And... Then start doing all the other things. And I think I tell all these patients with breathing issues, like, look, you breathe about 23,000 times a day. Yeah, and that's really true. Just do the math. 15 times per day per minute, 60 minutes, 24 hours. You multiply those, you end up around 23,000. That means you have 23,000 opportunities every day to make your life a lot better. So what are you waiting for? That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, because if you don't breathe, nothing will happen. It, it, right. It's impossible to go through life because if you don't breathe, you actually trigger the start of the development of these trigger points as well. Because if you don't breathe properly, you don't oxygenate your body properly. Correct. You don't have enough intake from the air through your little through your lungs into your blood vessels, and that's the beginning of a lack of oxygen. So it, it's it's a much bigger problem. So breathing is essential in this. You have to breathe. And you you mentioned that people breathe about fifteen times a minute, or t- times yeah, fifteen times minute, a minute. Yeah, yeah. So I have a machine that measures how often people breathe and the ones coming in that are breathing 25, 30, oh, yeah, yeah, 35. Yeah, yeah. So th- imagine how, how tight and how tightly wound these patients are. Um, I find that if we don't work on the rib cage and reducing that tension, it's yeah. like you can't get them to get out of that pattern. So I completely well, agree with you. Along with that, I think when people you see that in people with asthmatic issues, you know, they right. tend to breathe with the you mentioned scaling muscles, the muscles on the side of your neck. They tend to they attach to your ribs, first and second rib. They tend to breathe with those. So they pull up the rib cage, which gives the illusion that you give your lungs more space, which is not really true because these muscles are not meant to be involved in breathing. If you drive your car in a canal or a lake and you can you panic and you're like, oh my God, I have to get out of the car, I'm going to drown. And if you finally open a window or you kind of knock out the window, you get back to the, the lake, the top of the lake, and you, <gasps> you breathe in real deeply, that's when these muscles should kick in. And on the normal breathing, breathing is done with your stomach, not with you. the stomach muscles are much more important. So when you see, I tell my patients that on Sunday morning, watch the choirs on, on, on the church choirs. And you see if it's amateur choirs, professionals don't do it. Amateur choirs, when you see at the end of the sentence, you can barely hear them anymore because they have no more volume. And then they all take collectively take a breath and you see all these people get a little bit taller. Yeah, yeah. That's what they yeah. do. And then they start singing. And then they come back. Because they use their neck muscles to breathe. And that's why they can't support that. I used to be a professional musician or semi-professional musician. I played clarinet and saxophone in a military band in the Netherlands. Professional musicians, wind instrumentalists, and singers never use those muscles. It's all like that. I just took a numerous breath. You didn't see anything. No. But I took a deep breath using my stomach muscles, and I can still talk on that same breath, and I can do that much longer because I have control over those muscles. So very important people learn how do you make your lungs bigger so you can take more air in by loosening all this and making sure your rib cage can expand properly by your diaphragm, which sits at the bottom of your 
of your, your lungs, that needs to come down. So you expand your lungs in the length rather than in this right. direction. I so agree. It, it makes so much sense to combine all that. And yeah, I wish more people would do that. To be honest. There's not, I, enough, not enough people who are really to get that picture. I, I agree with you, Jan. And that's why I thought, you know, for people in the public that have these breathing issues, a lot of them have head and neck pain and they don't realize that, you know, trigger points, they can be treated manually, like you said, they can be, but it's not sure. as effective, right? It's just- It takes longer. It takes longer. And and sometimes people, before people have had dry needling, they think it's hurting a lot. Because yeah, it, it's, I personally don't really like getting needled because it doesn't feel great to me. You know, I have a colleague here in the clinic who loves getting needled. Yeah. So it all depends a little bit on yourself. So when my patient says, is it going to hurt? It's like, well, I'll be honest with you. Some people think it's the worst thing ever happened to them. And other people, like, that's it. I didn't barely felt it. Um, you know, same with vaccines. I just had my, my fifth, my third booster yesterday, two days ago, two days ago. I didn't feel it at all. I'm like, I was watching her like, wow, I didn't, I didn't even feel that needle go in. Tell that to a little child. They all scream their head off of fear of that needle because right. they know it's going to hurt because mommy's all excited about prepping the kid to be more anxious. Yeah. So for most people, it's just, let's talk about it. Let's do it together. So I don't feel your pain. You feel your pain. I feel my pain. So let's talk about it. This is what I'm going to do. If people are a little anxious, but you can prepare them for it in a very calming way. And truly, manual techniques usually work more. I you agree. Have, you have to do it so much longer. You have to maintain that. Let's say if I use my arm, you have to maintain that pressure. And we can combine that with active contracting of the muscles. So now I'm putting pressure here to let the patient do some of the work. But that pressure after a while. It hurts your hands too. It hurts the therapist's head, but that's <laughs> irrelevant. It hurts the therapist's head, but it also hurts the patient. That pressure hurts. I agree. So needling is intense because it's right on the right spot if you do it properly. Right on the right spot. So you get a response to the tissues. It will contract really quickly, what we call a twitch response. And then it's done. And it's in a matter of seconds, it's like, that was it? Yeah, that was it. And then you can find others, other spots maybe, and, and how many you need to treat that that is varies a lot and somewhat arbitrary in a way. But the manual techniques work by all means, they work. Uh, I tell in all my courses, no one needs dry needling. But if people agree, it is by far the quickest way to get out of that misery the fastest. Um, yeah, it doesn't feel good for some people. I have patients who are addicted to needling. I do too. I tell it's them, true. you need to go home. You're fine. Stop coming here. <laughs> yeah. I once had a patient from Dubai. I, I used to teach courses in Dubai and Abu Dhabi and in Emirates. He came all the way from the Emirates from Dubai to be treated here in our clinic. And he, he stayed in a local hotel. Money was no issue for him. He had problems in his stomach muscles. And I had treated him and said, okay, I think you're fine. And he had two small boys at home. He couldn't play with them in the pool and toss them around like dads like to do. And he was really fine. I could, I said like, but he would walk to the hotel, right before the hotel, he would press his stomach muscles all over the place. I said, oh, I still feel something. And I said, yeah, most people, if you poke your stomach, you're going to feel something. Right. So stop doing that. <laughs> Well, he couldn't. He could not stop. But that's more anxiety. That's not, has nothing to do with the muscles. That's just, oh my gosh, I wonder if I still have some. That's an anxiety issue. So one day I told him, and I was kind of joking. I have a pretty dry sense of humor. 
And he didn't get that, I think. I didn't realize that. So I told him, so if you get to the hotel, what are you going to do? So I first, before going, I have to check if I still do trigger points. He's like, <sighs> he's like, okay, let's make a deal. If you still find something, that means you haven't moved enough. So you need to walk around the block of the hotel in one direction <laughs> and then check again. If it still hurts, walk in the other direction. And it's a good sized block. And it's like, because it's just a sign you haven't moved enough. Well, I saw him two days later. He said, Dr. Jan, Dr. Jan, it really worked. And I was like, I forgot that I told him that because I was kind of joking with him in a funny way. And he's like, what? He said, the palpate again, the walking around the block. I only did it five, six times. <laughs> and then I away. felt so good that the next day I rented one of the bicycles that you have in all cities now. And I biked all the way to Washington, D.C., which is downhill from here. So that's nice. Right. But then he also had to come back up, and it's all uphill. It's about six miles probably total one way. Yeah. So he did all that, and he said, I feel great, because he overcame that that idea that trigger points need to be palpated all day. And, and there was more an anxiety issue than anything else. So in the head neck area, you see that too. People get more anxious when it relates to the head neck area, because it immediately impacts breathing. It impacts how you look at the world, how people see you. To get an impression how you feel, people always look at your face. And people say, oh, you didn't look good today. Or did you see so-and-so? She looked a little pale. If it's in your stomach, no one says that because no one can see your stomach. But if it's in the face, a little worrisome face, the face immediately reflects that you're probably not breathing properly, that you have pain, that you can't really expand your chest well enough to take in a good good fresh air or breath. And so the face, it's even more. It's people wear a mask. And in the clinic with you, with Jen, and in my clinic and others, they're willing to take that mask off temporarily. Yeah. But as soon as they leave, the mask goes back on. And the key is how can you get them to the point that they stop poking their stomach, that they realize they don't need a mask. Right. Beautiful as is. It's okay. You're fine. You're breathing from 35 minutes, 30 minutes a minute. You're now breathing back to 15 times a minute. It's all right. You're doing great. That reminds me of a, a patient I just had yesterday. An 18-year-old little boy came in, took off school, came in to see me for headaches, referred by a a, a, de- a doctor at Ch- Ch- uh, Lurie's Children that really understands what I do because I helped him with long COVID problems um, and tinnitus. And so he sent me this patient. This kid has been having headaches since he was in sixth grade, so 11 years old to yeah. 18. No one, no PT has ever evaluated him. It's only been, you know, going to see yeah. doctors. And so breathing super fast through the mouth, um, tongue tied and um, posture, very kyphotic forward head, uh, yeah. all these muscles that we've mentioned. I go to just palpate his upper traps and he's like, ow, ow, ow. And I'm like, has, have you had, have you had a massage ever? Have you had anyone touch these muscles? And he's like, no, I'm like, okay. So I asked him, I said, would you like to try some dry needling? This is something that I think would really help your headaches. You know, do you have a headache right now? Yes, it's an eight out of 10. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, just do a little bit to the upper traps. Just, you know, and, and for the public to, to know, you, you actually palpate these, these little bands, these taut bands, these little knots in the muscle. You identify, I always say, I want to get the most painful spot, the really hardest painful spot. And I'm going to put in the dry needling needle yep. and I'm going to try to elicit this little twitch, this twitch that you feel it's going to feel like a little impulse that, that it's like a, a deep ache and it might startle you because it is a little painful. 
but we want to go in and out of it until it eliminates the twitching. So he was able to tolerate. It was very painful. I mean, he not had never had any treatment and I'm sure they've been there for years. We needled just those upper traps. That's all he could handle. I re went to repalpate and and feel and I said, "How does this feel?" He goes, "I have I have pain, but it's different. I my headache is now to a 2 out of 10." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because that the, the upper traps just know that these muscles all have referred pain patterns away from where the muscle actually is. You, every single muscle has a map to a different, a, a distant site that may not be right where the muscle is. So he had pain behind the eye. I palpated the sternocleidomastoid, and those were very painful. So I, I'm just a. I'm I'm grateful for that doctor that understands this because not all doctors understand trigger points and that pain might be coming from muscles. And that he found a place to actually get this type of treatment. And if, if you have pain, I always urge people, go to a physical therapist that understands dry needling and has been certified because they've gone through extra training to really understand where muscle pain can come from or where pain in general can come from. And they can at least screen for it. And if you don't screen for it and you're going into surgeries after surgery to, to eliminate pain, you might not be getting to the root cause. So I, I'm I'm grateful, Jan. I, you are the top, 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 top PT that does dry needling in the world, I, I think. I want to make one comment, though. Yep. Yep. Unfortunately, when patients come to our clinic here in Bethesda, and we have five physical therapists in this clinic, and many of those patients have had dry needling before, and they would tell me it did not work. And I always try to convince them, it's like, well, we probably do that a little bit different than what you had before because there's no reason why it would not work. And then we, when we do dry needling, people say, I've never felt that before. It's completely different than what I had before. Patients will say, they, and that could be from a physical therapist, a chiropractor, it doesn't matter who, who the, the other person was or persons were. People may have had trigger point injections, but many times the injections are not done properly because I have one patient now, she told me, she said, well, the physician doctor, she has headaches. So I treat the muscles in her neck, these so-called suboccipital neck, and some points on the neck itself. She said, well, with my, with my doctor, the physician, I have to tell him where it hurts because he never palpates. So I tell him, do it right there, and then, up, and then he injects it. So when we first started teaching dry needling courses, we were the only program in the country. So we introduced dry needling courses officially to the state. We were the first people to teach dry needling courses back in 97, as she said in the introduction. Now there are about 40 companies that offer mm -hmm. dry needling course to physical therapists, and some of them are outstanding, but some of them really are not very good. There are people who just jump on the bandwagon and oh, look, oh, I can do that. That sounds like fun teaching courses. And so dry needling is no longer just dry needling. So when, what I wanted to say is that if it didn't work, you really have to question. How good is the person who's doing it? Where did they learn dry needling? And, you know, there, there's lots of really good programs out there. We're not the only one that I think we have a great program, of course, because it's our program, but there are lots of others as well, but there are probably more programs that are not so good, that where people really don't take the time, where they don't really learn in the studies what pain is all about. Like we spend, as you know, Jen, we spend a yes. lot of time on the pain science, the theory, how, why does this happen? 
many of these articles you mentioned I've published are about pain. They're about what really happens. Yeah, and now we expand it to other things. We now do dry needling for spasticity. I've had a whole bunch of last three years. I've published a lot of papers on dry needling for spasticity. So it has other applications that are not so important for this podcast. But So dry needling is not always the same. That's what I want to say. Just like acupuncture is not the same. There are many schools of acupuncture. And the fact that one acupuncture treatment didn't work as well, maybe someone else who went to a different school can help you better. So I wouldn't give up so quickly. And, and patients get tired of it. I understand that. Most of our patients, my average patient has seen 14 other physical therapists. 14. Wow. wow. That is shocking. I kept yeah. track of it for about six months one time and then a couple of years ago. It was 14. And I'm like, wow, that is, and that says a lot about our healthcare system. It's like, mm. yeah. And I always wonder, what did these other 14 people do with you? <laughs> and unfortunately, even today, that was a few years ago I did that, even today, there is a school within physical therapy, certainly in the, in the larger clinics where they have hundreds of clinics sometimes. It's not about really taking the time to listen to the patient's story. Like, tell me your story. I take sometimes an hour, sometimes two hours to just hear the story. Now, I'm, I'm in a very open end clinic, so we can afford to do that. But in many clinics, they're more like factory PTs. Right. Yeah, where, where you need to see three patients an hour and preferably in the gym so you can three, three, supervise three other ones doing really silly exercises that you could be doing at home. You don't need me to, to sit in the gym and move your leg back and forth like that a million times. Right. You want to move? I don't give people homework ever. What you need to do is move, yeah. breathe. Move, breathing is a form of movement. You need to move, you need to breathe, you need to be happy. Yeah. Not be constrained by something you have no interest in doing. Like if people don't like the pool, don't give them pool therapy because they're never going to do it. Right. 70% of our patients never does exercises at home. So why do we waste our time? Well, if people are really motivated, I'm happy to give them stuff to do. But most people, eh, they're not going to do it. Part of it is because the exercise we give them is so incredibly boring. It's not functional. Push it. If you have shoulder issues and you, say, oh, you need to open your chest, we put people in the corner of a room and push. What if you're successful pushing that wall away? It's not going to work. It, it, it may work for these muscles, but it's boring. There must be much better ways to do that. So in our clinic, we try to make, we put fun back in functional. We have a lot of fun with our patients. We do yeah. really fun exercises. So that's part of it. So even if, if people have listened to this and you said, you know, I had dry needling, didn't work, try it with someone else. Don't give up. Be assertive. So, okay, where did you learn dry needling? How long have you been doing that? What are your results? How often do you do it? Once a week or do we do it five times a day? Makes a huge, huge, huge difference. Yeah. yeah. So that goes to the the question that I always ask all my my interviewees that what what are the most important tips on being healthy? Are you saying movement and breathing? Like is that I just your said advice? Yeah, movement is the most important. Yeah. So my all my patients thing, the worst thing we can do is stop moving. If you look at elderly people in nursing homes, that's their main problem. They don't move. They get out of bed, they get in the wheelchair or another chair, and they just sit in the chair all day. With their mouth open, mouth breathing. With their mouth open, <laughs> drooling because they don't have control anymore. 
If you, they would just every day, the focus should be on movement, not on yeah. sitting down. You sit yeah. down when you get tired. But tired for what? From laying in bed all night? So now you have to sit down all day? No, you need to get up and move. So I think nursing homes totally fail in that respect. But yeah. we live in a society where we all sit. We sit Too much. Too we much. Sit this. We don't have another. Now, companies are paying attention to it. I get that. I mean, the Marriott headquarters is here in Bethesda. They just opened up their new headquarters. They have treadmills with platforms for your computer. Awesome. So you can actually walk on a treadmill <laughs> while you're doing your email. <laughs> Love it. I just saw, saw an article about it. That, so companies becoming more sensitive to that. But even older folks who work at home now schedule movement rates. Yeah. Yeah. And I know it's really hard. It's easier said than done because with the whole, during the pandemic, especially people switch from one move meeting to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. Hopefully your company will become smarter and say, no, let's not schedule meetings back to back. Because my friends who worked for the government in the pandemic here in Washington, D.C., they said, we don't even have time to go to the bathroom because one meeting ends at nine, the next one starts at, starts at nine o'clock. And we, people don't like it when we're late. But you do have to get up. So I honestly believe you need to incorporate movement in your schedule. If you stop moving, again, breathing is part of that. Breathing is coordinated moving of everything that happens up here. You stop doing that, well, then you, you're no different than that poor, poor fellow in the nursing home who gets out of bed, sits in a chair, probably can't make it to the bathroom in time, so let's give him a diaper instead because, you know, it doesn't right. make no. sense. It makes no, your body it. needs that that oscillation, the arm swing, and the movement yeah. of the rib cage. Even and for your bowels, you need to move to be able to go to the toilet. Yep. Believe it or not, I mean, if you if your intestines don't move or the peristalsis, as that's called, <laughs> you're going to get constipated. It's that simple. So movement is the key. Well, Jan, thank you so much. I hope everybody's learned. Um, he, he Jan Dammerholt is the best dry needling physical therapist that exists in the world. So if you want, I agree. I, I believe, believe me, this is the truth. If you um, want any, anybody that does dry needling, his company is called Myopain Seminars. If you're a dentist or a physical therapist, um, his company is by far, I think the best. Um, if you're a dentist that wants to learn dry needling, um, he provides courses mainly for dentists as well. We can organize those. And um, yes, I hope you learned a lot. And thank you, Jan. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Breathing Lab with Dr. Jenny. 